The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. And welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. Tonight, we are going back in time to talk about the 1985 American classic, Back to the Future, which was directed by Robert Zemeckis, and it was written by Zemeckis and Bob Gale. And I know a lot of people like to think of this as a Steven Spielberg film, but it's not. Yes, he was involved with some of the producing stuff like that, but it's not a Spielberg film, but people still, I think consider it a Spielberg film. So I just like to clarify that. Those people are ignorant. Yes. It stars Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly. Also known as Meg's husband. <laughs> Sorry. Oh God. I tell you when I tell you my husband was so excited to be growing up named Marty. <laughs> I bet. Uh, and then Christopher Lloyd as Doc Brown, Leah Thompson as Lorraine McFly, Crispin Glover as George McFly. It was set in 1985, and the story follows Marty McFly, a teenager accidentally sent back to 1955 in a time-traveling DeLorean automobile built by his eccentric scientist friend, which, why is a teenager hanging out with, like, a 50-year-old man? That's the true unanswered question of this entire, the entire trilogy. I have is- a theory, which I will give you, well, when it, which I will give you when it's my turn to talk about Marty. <laughs> That's Emmett Doc Brown. While in the past, Marty inadvertently prevents his future parents from falling in love by ending up having his mom falling in love with him. <laughs> existence and is forced to reconcile the pair and somehow get back to the future so this is the feel-good incest flick of the 80s (laughs) (laughs) oh lordy and originally if you didn't know originally the role of marty mcfly was played by eric stoltz but they hated how he was portraying the character and he was he did it because at the time michael j fox couldn't get out of family ties so they went with Eric. Eric was being really serious, and this is a comedy, mm-hmm. despite the incest. <laughs> this is not a serious incest movie. This is a funny incest it's movie. Wholesome, Eric Stoltz, get it right. Incest by Eric. Incest movie, you guys. <laughs> comedy of incest. 
Uh, <laughs> and so they ended up firing him and bringing back Michael J. Fox, which did cause some rifts. Crispin Glover was a big was a big friend, was a good friend of Eric Stoltz's and was really rather upset by that. And I think a couple other people were, too, not at Michael J. Fox, but the fact that they had done all that stuff. And that's got to suck for Eric Stoltz. I mean, not like he's had a horrible career since then, but that has to suck to, you know, know that you're not funny or something. <laughs> he's the Wally Pip of time travel incest movies. <laughs> that is a genre, in case you didn't know. And um, Gail and Zemeckis conceived the idea for Back to the Future in 1980 because they were desperate for a successful film after numerous failures. And then nobody really wanted to work with them. Disney actually didn't want to do the movie. That was originally who was going to do it. All this stuff. And then, like, they had a huge success with Romancing the Stone which I'm, mm -hmm. I don't know if I'm sure all my panelists have seen that movie, right? I've heard of it a lot. Eons ago. I've heard of it a lot. Wow. <laughs> I don't want to hear it because you haven't even done an episode on Romancing the Stone. Therefore, I don't think you're that big of a fan. Okay, like, move on. <laughs> move on. <laughs> Wait, was Finn Rock in it? <laughs> yes, but back then he was known as Fetus Whitrock. <laughs> We watched that documentary, but all the other studios are like, this is so wholesome. This is way too sweet. You should take it to Disney. And Disney's like, y'all are having, like, incest. <laughs> like, everybody else was totally this, okay this with not, it. This is not the kind of wholesome we're trying to talk about. But that really tells you a lot about movies in the 80s. We're not that family friendly, you guys. <laughs> We all know the real reason that Carla didn't watch Romancing the Stone, going back to that one really quickly, because I had a joke that I wanted to do. <laughs> was because well, you're the host. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't had the two boobs on it together. Anymore. Um <laughs> it's all warm and cozy. Um, <laughs> Slightly suffocating. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say it's because it didn't have, because Romancing the Stone, she thought maybe Stone was a family last name and that there was some incest going on in that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's like when we put it into Family Stone with Carla, and I was like, this is not the movie I thought. <laughs> I got some, like it needs an over the holidays or something. Yeah, she, she she's like, let's watch the Family Stone. It's a comedy. I was like, mm. Sure well, Carla's it. like, it has the word stone in it. I do not do that. <laughs> no, I'm boycotting anything that says stone in it, which is why I don't like the Stone Temple Pilots or the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I don't like people who get stoned. I also think stoning was a barbaric form of, of murder. Stonehenge well, was. Stonehenge is dead to me. Stonehenge is dead to me. <laughs> On the show, on the show, uh, manifest. I don't like the Stone family. <laughs> no, you were doing so well, and then no, the manifest, the manifest fans out there will know what I'm talking about. Oliver Stone is the worst. Oliver director, Stone is the worst. Actually, Oliver Stone is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> I 
like how we're 10 minutes in and we haven't yeah. even. <laughs> Who's gonna, how, how's anyone going to know who it is? <laughs> so you won't watch the show, The Righteous Gemstones? No. Watch it, it's just The Righteous Gems. That one, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hate watch it. Like, is it the word stone or just actual stones? Like, are you going to watch the gold mining? The gold no, stone? I refuse. I also don't, don't watch my son doing Minecraft. And I almost disowned him for doing Minecraft because I have stones in it. I also don't like to walk along cobbled, cobbled stoned areas. How disgusting cobbled stones picturing that you walk walk you see some stones you go oh my no. gosh <laughs> no, today satan that third pig is dead to carla too yes he <laughs> built a house out of what <laughs> to hell with you i will help the wolf blow down this building i will unless give him tnt his name is stone. <laughs> unless his name is stone and then he said to me too okay well <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's so funny. I thought this might be a kind of quick recording. <laughs> I knew it wouldn't be. I'm like, I have both Meg and Carl on. I'm screwed. <laughs> Before we dive into the feel-good incest movie of 1985, I want to know my panelists. I have, I don't know if you know who was on, but <laughs> Carla and Meg, the hosts of Bedwitter Behead, are on joining me, are on joining me. Are joining me today. <laughs> Can we go back in time and start this over? Oh, do you have a DeLorean sitting around, Aaron? Oh, let's go back in time. Like you just have like a magical vehicle and a flux As capacitor. A fact. Where's the flux capacitor? You've never shown it to me, Aaron. Well, you didn't ask nice enough. Nice, nice enough. Nice made out of stone, so she's scared to kill you. There you go. That makes sense. I don't want you to beat me up um, <laughs> or dis dis stone me. <laughs> so Carla, <laughs> oh, I love that you're trying to get this thing under control by shouting at me. So Erin, <laughs> yes, Erin. So what are you into right now in pop culture Mining. or stone culture? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm currently into is I am, I just decided to just rewatch Scrubs. I decided, you know, I'm going to put in a couple of episodes just to have something to ha have on in the background. And then, of course, I got sucked in because I love that show so much. Trying to holler at me. That's I'm what I had in my head, too. Oh, my I God. That too. I started singing it in my head, too. Sorry. I'll have you know that, that my sister, her birthday's coming up soon, and she's having a karaoke party, and she has, like, this really cute invitation on it. Mm -hmm. And then in there it says, like, you know, wear whatever you want. I like to dress up. You don't have to. Um, just don't come in looking like a scrub. So I, I photoshopped my face onto somebody <laughs> looking scrubby, and I sent it to her. And so I'm going to show up wearing this. I'm going to sing no scrubs and then I'm going to leave. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm going to karaoke tomorrow to celebrate. Susie's well, good birthday. for you, Erin. Erin's <laughs> <laughs> like, well, fuck me, I guess. <laughs> 
No, because I don't get to do karaoke sorry, ever. Sorry, sorry. So. I'm trying to be relatable and kind of tie your story <laughs> into what we're talking about. But sure, what the fuck? No, I'm just jealous and I have FOMO of anybody who gets to go and do karaoke is all. I'm just I bitter. Karaoke. I just do it at my house karaoke. now, which is very But cool. Meg, what are you into this week? Wow, just step all over my toes. <laughs> Aaron, are you tired of hosting? Because Carla will take over for you. <laughs> You sounded like you were about to go into a uh, infomercial. Oh, <laughs> we will Are you eventually... tired of stones? Do you only want to eat kibble for a glossy coat? <laughs> that is, that, does Carla have the answer for you? <laughs> so, Maggie, so, Maggie McFly, what are you doing? I'm into this really like indie show. Not a lot of people have heard about it. It's not something that's really like talked about all that much. It's called, let me think if I can remember the name. Um, Rings of Power. (laughs) I don't know. It's like, it's this really like small niche thing. It's like, I think it's related to the Lord of the Rings at all. No, that's what I'm into. But I made the mistake of telling my husband we would watch it together. So I'm behind already. It's I'm so and it's and it's Friday night right now and we're recording and I'm not watching Rings of Power. So that shows how much I love you. I'm not watching Rings of Power. <laughs> I'm not at a beer tent. <laughs> Aww, Maggie. Okay, well, what I'm into is there is a new crime docuseries on Netflix, which shocker there, but called Sins of Our Mother all about Lori Vallow and her kids and how horrible and awful she is. Yes. She got sucked into like a cult thing and murdered her two kids. And oh, it's God. so sad. It is so it is. sad. And it's mainly like her older son and his wife and then mm-hmm. Lori's mother and a couple other people talking. And I mean, she got like her brother involved in this. And there were a lot of people that she was responsible for killing. And she's still, she's just, it's, it's, I, I have this theory that, you know, and I'm not at all excusing what she did by saying this, but I have this theory that one day. I mean, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Like the moon drops like a rock. Like a stone. stone. Like a stone. (laughs) The one exception I will make about my stone thing is the song, like a stone by audio sleep. Cause that was just a banger. Also. Aaron, I can't believe you started talking about what you're into without Carla, the host, prompting you. <laughs> How dare you? That is so rude. <laughs> anyway, so, but I have this theory that one day something will happen in prison and she'll get out of this, you know, thing that she's under and she will re- realize what she did and she will just be living in this state of total pain, which, I mean, I'm, she deserves it, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Anyway, so on that note, <laughs> we're so chipper. We've talked about incest. Back to funny things like killing your children, stones, stones. Just and a stone. Stones. Just a stone throws away. Throw away from starting our Back to the Future episode. So, Carla, what I first want to know. Now we're going to talk about Back to the Future. Carla, do you have any special memories of seeing this movie for the first time? I actually you weren't stoned, were you? <laughs> <laughs> you 
Yeah, me. Always. You know me. Always. 24-7 for 12. No, whatever. Whatever the number is that means. 420. That's the one. Yeah, I was close. It's only a few away. Um, you are an overachiever, so it makes sense that you're a few <laughs> minutes early. <laughs> Naturally. But, no, I... I don't have like a very firm memory, but every time that I rewatch it, I remember the scenes that stood out to me the most and that really stuck with me. Like um, Doc trying to connect the two uh, power cables together, um, scenes at the at the dance, uh, you know, hey, McFly, that, that stuff just really sticks to me. So I don't have a very clear memory of the first time that I watched it. I just know that it's always been part of my part of my life. And that I love it so much. And every time that I watch this movie, I it just brings me so much joy. I don't know. It's just, it really holds up in a nostalgic way. <laughs> there are lots of things yeah. in it that don't hold up. Yeah. But as far as nostalgia <laughs> for an 80s kid, that, that part holds up. Yes. yes. <laughs> and Maggie? I was one when this movie came out. So, And my dad absolutely loved this Bye, movie. Meg. So I don't remember. <laughs> I honestly do not remember any time in my life where this movie wasn't like a part of it. Like it was one of my dad's favorite movies. We watched it all the time. It's not like Carla. Like I have these memories of like great Scott and all the, and like <laughs> all of the, the classic lines and stuff. And my memory isn't so much about first time seeing it. Cause I, like I said, it's, I, it was kind of imbued in my whole childhood, but just sitting with my dad watching it. Um, obviously I never saw it in the theaters because I was a wee baby. I was a tiny little infant baby when this movie came out. Um, but I just remember sitting and talking to my dad and, and it really was the movie that got me completely healthily into time travel stuff. And if I think I don't think you've been subjected to it, Aram, but Carla has definitely been subjected to me drunk talking about time travel theories, and it's very smart and informative. I bet it is. I bet it's, it's like Uber. It's very cogent, <laughs> completely, and very concise. <laughs> you should do a panel on it, right? Get Meg drunk. Ask her about her time travel theories. If you ever do another marathon live stream, you could just have her on for like three hours while you go take a nap. <laughs> we should do your panel next because we are going to do that again next year, like in May sometime. So, yes, that, that is happening again. I'm taking like a day off after it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I did see this in the theater. I, I'm pretty positive it wasn't the first movie I saw in the theater, but it was the first movie I remember seeing in the theater. Like it, like it changed everything for me in this kind of respect. Like this is the movie that made me fall in love with movies. This is the movie where I went, oh my gosh, you can do so many amazing things with movies. This is incredible. You can go live in a whole nother world and time travel. And I was also, and I think this was true of a lot of kids when we grew up in the eighties, for some reason, the fifties, we're this big thing where we like love to explore that fashion and the music. So, and so many poodle skirts and saddle shoes. Yes. Oh my gosh. It was so weird. And so this played into that too with him going back to the fifties and it was just, and I loved Michael J. Fox cause I was a huge family ties fan, which we're going to cover family ties next year. And 
even though Meg, sorry, (laughs) sorry, Meg had to put in a comment in our secret comments about how young she was in the 80s. You know what, Meg? I think maybe this is past your bedtime. You should probably go to sleep now. I agree. I agree. Do you need somebody to tuck you in? Good night. I love (laughs) Marty. I love Doc Brown. Their relationship is weird, but I don't care. Um, Good night. Marty's Marty's mom is a bit of a horn dog, which I loved. I love Huey Lewis. Ah, see you later. <laughs> uh, but yes, so I and and I loved Huey Lewis back then. So it was like a combination. Michael J. Fox was my first celebrity crush. I had pictures of him from Teen Beat up in my room. So seeing him in a movie when I already loved him in Family Ties, it was just like this combination of just everything that was just wonderful and amazing as a kid seeing this movie. And yes, there are things when you watch it now where it's like, you know, it doesn't hold up. There's some stuff that's like, there's like sexual assault is very casual in this. Like Lorraine is almost sexually assaulted quite a few times in this movie, but I don't care because this movie means so, I mean, not that I, (laughs) I mean, I don't care that. But don't, not without her consent, you guys. I mean, I just, I I know it's problematic. There's problematic things when you look back at it, but I don't care because it holds such a special place in my heart and I will love this movie forever. And I hadn't watched it in quite a few years and watched it last weekend. And I was just like, oh my gosh. I It was like not, it was like this memory that's so ingrained in me that I don't, I haven't forgotten any of it. Like I know all the words to it. Nothing's it was like, oh, I didn't remember this was in here. You know, so it's just I love this movie it's so one of those so movies much. Where because I still have Hulu Live or whatever, so I still do some channel scrolling. But it is one of those movies. If I see that it's on, I will always watch it. Yeah, like it, it. Even even two and three, which I know we're not talking about two and three, but I don't care. I love them all. <laughs> I love Old West Doc Brown. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> We, you know, depending on how well this does, we will revisit and we'll do two and then we'll do three. So, yeah, so we'll so cover listen, the whole thing. guys, spectrum. download, tell your friends. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. So let's get to the characters. So let's talk about Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox. So, Carla, what are your overall thoughts on the character? I just thought he was so cute. Like, you know, watching watching him as, as a kid and then watching it over and over again. I was just like, oh my God, he's so cute. Oh my God. You know, just the, the swooning that people had for his character in, in Family Ties, I had for Marty McFly. Even though the, there, there are some, some times where you're just like, was that really the best thing you you? good thing to do in that moment marty was that really a sound decision you know like i i don't know that pushing your dad out of the way when your parents have told you over and over and over again that he clearly survives being hit by that car it's but you know <laughs> i meg i know meg 
Meg. <laughs> but I, 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 one thing that I found really funny in this is that a lot of people say, you know, like the reason that, that Marty McFly is such a, an interesting character is because he learns nothing in all of this. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah. He, there are no <laughs> lessons learned. There is no like greater concept that he, that he comes to embrace. He doesn't appreciate his parents more. No. He doesn't, <laughs> you know, he doesn't see the world in a different way. It's just like, oh, thank God I got back. Now I can, now I can find my girlfriend in bone. And that's, that's his entire, his entire and I got thing. a truck. Yeah. His oh entire God, thing is, is like, screw things up, fix them, screw something else up, fix that, and then end up with a truck at the end. Like, honestly, if we could all live a life like Marty McFly, where we just live blithely, not really paying attention to anything going on around us, and end up with like the things that we want out of life, that's kind of the dream. And you get to time travel, you know, like it's not bad. Okay, but I mean, time I, I, travel that means it you, doesn't matter if, it doesn't matter what you do yeah it's fine <laughs> it's fine but I, I do really like that he's such a loyal friend because you know obviously he has an agenda in getting his parents together but he really stands up for for his parents when they're being um bullied by by biff or just by life you know he really um he has a vested interest in making his dad more courageous because he has always kind of looked down on him as this total pushover who has no satisfaction in life because he doesn't want to confront anything. He's scared of of um, of rejection to the point where he doesn't get anything done. So it is a little bit self-serving, but it's still in that moment it is a matter of caring about these people. He, he, I think even if they weren't his parents, if he had been thrust into the situation and they were just randos, I think he would still, you know, step in and speak up for somebody who's being bullied and who would um, give somebody a pat on the back and say, look, you can do this. You know, like, I know that, that you're, that you're, you're better than this. You're better than, than you think you are. He's super loyal to Doc Brown. And here's my theory about Doc Brown and Marty McFly, all right? So here's the thing. So in ninth grade, when Mar when Marty was in ninth grade at school, Doc Brown showed up and he was supposed to be a science teacher. And he was fired immediately, but <laughs> Marty really thought that he was like super cool. And, he, and a lot of things that Doc Brown said really like stuck with him. And he was like, this is really fascinating. So he sees Doc Brown walking around collecting scrap as he's like on his little skateboard doing skateboard boy things. And he's like, hey, Doc Brown, what are you doing? And Doc Brown is like, I'm over here just collecting scraps so I can make a time machine, Marty. And Marty is like, can I come help you? And Doc Brown is like, of course. I, there's nothing but I would like more in the he world a than a teenage boy, boy to <laughs> skate over to my to my lair. I mean, my offices and help me collect scrap metal for this uh, time machine that I want to build. Okay, and that's how they struck up a friendship. We need to add two new voices to your impression. I know because that was a spot on. The Marty, Michael with the Marty. yeah, <laughs> the puberty with the voice, yes. <laughs> for Lloyd, like, I, could, well, I thought lot, I was back in the movie. <laughs> a lot of thought and preparation went into this impersonations, and I'm glad 
that that you really felt that. I'm glad that you were moved to your core. Thought and preparation, two things Marty McFly does not do. Does not do <laughs> at all. But, but no, I, he's still lovable. Yeah, I, I still love him. I, th- I still think he's adorable. I don't mind that he grows zero percent in this movie. It's he's just still enjoyable because he keeps the action moving. And I, aside from the fact that Eric Stoltz wasn't um, like a comedic force. I think he also has a slower pace about him in acting. And this movie really needed that that frenetic Michael J. Fox energy where he he's like just crackling and moving the entire time, nonstop. And without that, I, I don't think that it would have been as enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. So Maggie. I yeah, yeah I <laughs> I I love Marty McFly. He's my second favorite Marty. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting uh, Carla talking about him not really thinking things through and all this other stuff and making those decisions, but it's like it's such a quintessential teenager thing. He's a teenager. Of course he's not going to think shit through. They think they're invincible. They don't really think anything about consequences or anything, and I thought that was really, really well done. Um, The theory... (laughs) Doc Brown was a teacher who picked him up <laughs> to pick up scrap metal. It's just—it might be one of my favorite things ever. However, I'm not. It's a very I, sound theory, okay? <laughs> I'm sure it is. No, it's nice. No, I—I I do love that he doesn't grow. I mean, the whole movie takes place over a week. He's still as like. You're right. He gets home. He just wants to bang his girlfriend. His whole life has changed. And he's just like, eh, okay, whatever. As long as I get to go to the cabin. Like, his dad's bully is out waxing his car. His dad's a best-selling, like, he just wrote his first book. His mom is hot still. And how awkward, like, here's my question. How awkward would it be for Lorraine to see this guy, her I son, know look exactly like this dude she was so thirsty for as a kid like right like, and what about george what about, remember yeah, it, like, but... what about george is george like wait a minute did she find kelvin klein <laughs> <laughs> is Marty I know, not my son <laughs> i know i've always wondered that doesn't it wasn't she like oh my gosh what the hell <laughs> but i and i do it's weird to say that I love the the dynamic and I actually really like how that played out between Lorraine and Marty because she, Lorraine is very clearly like, yeah, she's very, she's very hot for it. She's very thirsty, but I like how when she does actually kiss him that instantly they're both like, well, her especially, because Marty obviously knows this is what he would be like, but like instantly she's like, there is something unnatural and gross about this and she doesn't know what it is but it just is she's it was over- a is what it was huh? <laughs> it was a relief as a viewer like oh thank god she wasn't into it thank- well and, and she was like so horrified but she and i like how that played like it just felt completely unnatural and wrong for her because she would have no reason to think that this isn't someone that she can kiss i think it was really weird to marty's like yeah i'm gonna try and take advantage of my mom so you can come and punch me like no other plan nothing no <laughs> that's what that was the first I... time that she was almost sexually assaulted yeah. and, and yeah. then sex, almost sexually assaulted right after that <laughs> well 
I feel like it was closer to Marty almost being sexually assaulted at that point <laughs> because she was just like, oh yeah, I love to park. Let me just take my coat off and I'm like, got my boobies hanging out. Like that was, that was 100, that would have been 100% like she was there for it. And then until she kissed him and then she's like, this is gross and wrong. And I, and yeah, but I think it's so funny that even being a teen, I don't feel like it's an excuse to be like, yeah, I'm going to try and assault my mom so you can beat me up like i can't think of any time or scenario in which that would be the first plan that comes to mind or second or third or 300th and yet Um, here we are but i love him so much and i also i just i love marty i think it's he's so goofy um i love his relationship with doc brown and I kind of love that there's no explanation for it. That's one of the things that I love so much about this movie is it doesn't, there are so many questions. It's like, no, you don't need to know any of this. Who gives a shit? The first chunk of it, we're going to tell you everything that you need to know about this movie. And if we don't tell you about it in the chunk of that chunk, you don't need to know. Doesn't matter. (laughs) So yeah, let's say my second favorite Marty. Yes, yes. I mean, yeah. I, I just will comment a little bit on, on Michael J. Fox and how great Michael J. Fox is in this movie and in this role because I think, and this is no offense to Eric Stoltz because I actually think Eric Stoltz is a fantastic actor, but he's too old for this role when this was done. He's too old as far as like his presence on screen. And Michael J. Fox has this way of imbuing every character he plays with this boyish charm and this boyish innocence. And he does it where even if his characters, like you go back and watch Family Ties, Alex P. Keaton is a Republican and is a total jerk. He's a sexist. He's all this. And yet you love him for some dang reason. And it's because of Michael J. Fox. Because Michael J. Fox does that. He like can take these characters. I'm not saying Marty McFly is like this, but he can take these characters and no matter what they do, no matter how icky it might be or no matter how eye-rolling it might be, you don't care as much because he adds such this boyish charm and this charisma and this like innocence in a way. It's kind of like he, he seems very safe. And when you're young and you're watching him, he seems even more safe. So it's like, you know, he's like just like the boy next door. And I mean that as a compliment. Uh, but he can also add levels to it. Like he's, you know, the least selfish actor. I think one of the least selfish actors you will ever watch because he's not there trying to steal the spotlight ever. He is all about whatever's going on in that scene and playing off of whatever the other actors are giving him and hoping to maybe elevate their performance some in any way he can and have them elevate his any way they can and learning from the process. And, you know, he doesn't ever take this, this premise, you know, could be laughed at if you're an actor, I guess you could think this is kind of silly, whatever, but he never once plays it like that. He plays it as this is just something that actually logically happened. And this is what I have to deal with. And it's logical that I'm going to run into my parents and I'm going to have to intercede and get them together. And that's just what's going to happen. And yeah, he doesn't ever grow. He doesn't ever suffer any kind of consequences. Well, there are, you know, he ends up having to go to the future, all I mean, this he stuff. Almost but it's still, well, yes, but I mean, like he doesn't <laughs> actually suffer 
like consequences, consequences. Like it's not like he gets punished for what he has done. He gets rewarded for what he has done in a lot of ways because his family is better off. He gets that massive ugly truck. He's, <laughs> he has this loves that truck so much. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh my gosh. And frankly, I will say, I do not think that truck fits Marty McFly. <laughs> and, and he, you know, and he invented rock and roll. <laughs> That is the funniest thing ever. That part like annoyed me so much though. I, know. I was like, you you gotta be kidding me. I know, I know. It's <laughs> Love it. It's your cousin. I know, it's it's awful. But so he gets rewarded for all this stuff and he has fun and you know, he gets, he, but he gives his parents this amazing new life in a way. I mean, he gives them a gift. It's like he has his father finally stand up for himself, which he never did. And so his mm-hmm. father finally gets confidence. So in a lot of ways, he's, he's, he's a great hero. <laughs> I mean, he ends up saving Doc Brown's life because of the fact that he went back in time. So all that. Mm-hmm. So yes. So he's perfect. <laughs> you're a teenager when you're a teenager when you're a kid he was perfection he was perfect so well and i think i think michael j i think you hit the nail on the head though michael j fox confidence and his willingness to just act and accept everything that's coming at him as marty allows us as the audience to do the same like marty never questions it michael j when his performance marty never questions anything that's going on and therefore, we're allowed to not question it either. Like, he's just like, oh, you made a time machine out of a DeLorean? But okay. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you killed Einstein. That might be one of my favorites. Yeah, it's just like, it's just what it is. And that's the way Michael J. Fox is in a lot of the stuff he does. And that's why he's so good at comedy. Because he's just like, this is what it is. You know, I mean, I know we're not talking about this, but the reason I'm bringing this up is there's there's an episode in uh, Family Ties, and it's one of my favorite episodes. And he's dating um, the Elaine Ellen, I mean, who you know he in real life he married the actress and is still married to her, and she's a ballerina and she's like the exact opposite of him. She's a dancer and all this stuff, and so he's going to go try out for dancing. He can't dance because he's jealous and he's envious that she's got all this other life. And it is the most hilarious scene. Go look that up because it is so funny to watch because he's doing this dance about Wall Street. (laughs) And it's so flipping funny. And the way Michael J. Fox does comedy is like that, where he will just go all out. He'll do whatever. He doesn't care. He doesn't care how he looks because to him, he's just like, this is just part of life. Part of life is being silly. Part of life is being funny. Part of life is falling down and getting up. And it's the same kind of, it's the same thing here. And with every role he does, I think. So he's a gift. I I love Michael J. Fox so much. Okay. Well, let's get to Doc Brown, played by the amazing Christopher Lloyd. So what are your thoughts on Doc Brown, the character? And talk about the performance too, Carla. I I love, I love this character. I think probably I've always liked Doc Brown more than, even more than I liked Marty McFly. Because he is, he's so passionate about his science. It, it's like his whole world revolves around it. He has no time or attention for anything else outside of that. And while he, I think, respects and appreciates Marty, he kind of sees him as somebody who's there to facilitate his brilliance, which is 
which is fine. You know, like it's, it's, I, I don't see that as a bad thing. I, I think that's just that amazing energy that he has. And I, I wonder, in, in, in my mind, it does. In my mind, part of the reason that Marty is as energetic as he is and as alive and in, in, in that very special way as he is, is because of his, the influence of, of Doc Brown. Because if you see it, like they, they're very matched in their energy. They're very matched in the the way that they don't stop moving, that they're constantly in awe of everything around them. Everything is fascinating and everything is so magical and just not magical, scientifically magical, you know what I mean? But it's a perfect pairing. Like I really think that these two actors, their their energies were just so matched so perfectly on screen. And that's part of why that dynamic works. Because if you if you look at it, it's not like a typical movie where there's like a father-son dynamic, where there's, you know, like a yearning for approval from one to the other or anything like that. It's just a dude helping another dude and the dude appreciating the help. And it, it changes in the other movies, but this one, the their dynamic is so pure because it's just there to serve the overall movie. There's nothing behind it, but they, but you still can't separate them. You know, there's no Doc Brown without Marty McFly. There's no Marty McFly without Doc Brown. They're really special. And I, I think Christopher Christopher Lloyd's performance was so brilliant in it. The, the difference between young Doc Brown and older Doc Brown, it's there. Like, I, I know that, that for... I, I've there was somebody that I had talked to who was like, oh, that the reason that they didn't really enjoy the movie or his performance in it is because they thought that it was too similar, the young one and the old one. And I'm like, not really. I mean, I, I can kind of see where they're coming from because that, that passion and that energy is still there. But this is um, somebody who is fumbling to find their next best thing, their next amazing thing. And this is somebody who has matured and has developed his ideas and really harnessed his brilliance so that and also I I like that Doc Brown treats Marty more like an equal than like a gopher and yes he he scolds him when he's you know when he aims the camera down and he's like keep the camera on me like this is the money shot right here like why are you looking at why are you looking at me now look at the car the car is doing amazing things but None of it feels like a condescending kind of thing. It feels like just two lab partners. And I really, I really enjoy that. I love Doc. I think he's just, he's such a weird, fun man. Like I, I, we, we joke about, we don't understand what the hell happened to get Marty and, and Doc together, but I can completely understand what keeps Marty coming back because A, it's true. He is being treated more or less as an equal his he's respected by doc in a way that i don't think he's really respected by other people and you kind of see that when he's trying out when he's playing with his band and he's getting hollered at by the principal and all this other stuff but i just i don't know carla really kind of said everything (laughs) said all of the things i would want to say um i love i think the differences between 1950s Doc Brown and 1980s Doc Brown are are fairly nuanced, so I can understand why people wouldn't get it. But looking at it as like 1950s, he hadn't succeeded in anything yet. Like he, none of his inventions worked. I mean, he was trying to get when he has that thing, and he's trying to re 
<laughs> trying to read Marty's mind and failing so miserably. And he's like, no, what this means? This doesn't work. Not anything about the time travel. It just means this next invention doesn't work still. God damn it. Um, but then you see him. And clearly after Marty comes and goes from there, he knows in his future there is a great success. And I think that confidence, we don't really get to see it built up, but we see it when he comes back and he just pulls up <laughs> with his flying time machine to bring Marty back to the future to save his kids. I just, he has so much more confidence, so much more... Smarts is not the right word, but he's also still pretty boyishly mis uh, mischievous in his own ways, and I think that's really what helps him and Marty get get along. He's not a stodgy scientist. I don't know what he's doing with Terrace, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but the fact that he, like younger Doc, tears up the letter and everything like that, and we don't know when. Mm -hmm. he tapes it back together but of course he tapes it back together because it's too tempting and doc is too curious about everything around him to to say no and christopher lloyd i i adore him i just think he's fantastic i cannot think of us of another actor that i would want to see or frankly could pull off this role because christopher lloyd has that that groundedness to him as an actor but it's also can be really silly and really goofy and he, he does such a great job balancing it almost where you're like is he really joking like is he being serious and then when the other shoe drops you're like oh okay <laughs> but no i i just i don't know i love them i love their dynamic i love i love the idea that he made a time machine out of a delorean like for an old man <laughs> Of all the cars to pick, I I just, I think that's so perfect. I don't know. I feel like this movie is one of the per most perfect movies, but that's me. No, I... <laughs> Incest aside. No, I completely agree. <laughs> I completely agree. There, I mean, I, I agree. It's just a perfect, perfect film. So. And it's hard to explain why, because it's just... Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> it just is. It just is. And it's enjoyable no matter how many times you see it. It does not get old. Mm -hmm. It does. It's not one of those ones that you saw it as a kid, but it doesn't hold up as an adult as far as, like, your enjoyment of watching it. It's still just as much fun. Yeah. Well, and my kids love it, too, which is... Yeah, it's a... It which is great. carries on. Like, it's yeah. still a movie that people still love. It's timeless. It's not... Yes. <laughs> That's why I said the time is yeah. uh, It's outside of time and space. <laughs> but yes, I, I love this character too. And this character could be a character, I think, in a different actor's hands that might have been kind of annoying or could have even been played as kind of creepy because of hanging out with a teenage mm -hmm. boy. But he's not. He's just like, yes, he's got that mad scientist thing going, but he's also got this such this great passion for what he's doing. Yeah. And he's so smart. And he just wants to invent these things and use the, his brains to do that. And he doesn't care how weird he sounds. He doesn't care how out there he may be. He just loves what he's doing. And he loves his inventions and his whole, and his, and like, you know, in the beginning when it's just all of the clocks going off at the same time. And then when it's, when it's opening all the cans of dog food, it's really gross. <laughs> pouring that and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, he's just 
amazing. He's just, he's a genius. And mm. you can, you get the feeling that probably society and the world as a whole hasn't taken him serious or people in his profession or his line of work or other scientists don't take him seriously enough. But he takes himself seriously enough, not in a way where he thinks he's above everybody, but he's just like, I don't care what anybody thinks. I'm going to do this. And yeah, the terrorist thing is kind of like. <laughs> I also love one of my favorite parts is when they're trying to figure out how to get uh, Marty back into the future. And he's he has the whole model that he's built in like a couple hours. And he's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't have a chance to paint everything. And it may not be perfectly the scale. Yeah. Like, of course, that's what's like. That's the thing that's occupying his mind. Not, not anything else. I just, I think yeah. that's. It's hilarious. Yeah, a lot of those. And Christopher Lloyd, the reason he's so good in this role is he's not playing it for laughs. He's just right. this character. He's not playing it for laughs. And the laughs just naturally come because the character is naturally funny. And he's a naturally funny, gifted actor. And he loves his craft. And he's very devoted to his craft. And he is able to hit those marks without even trying because he's not trying. And that's the yes. important part. He's the character. It's, it's perfect. It's perfect. Like th there's no, um, there's no guile to it. You know, he's just completely embodying this person and not playing him as a joke. He, he's playing this, yeah. him as, as a serious scientist. Yeah. And that's, what's important is there's no joking there. There's no like, Oh, I'm going to make fun of this character. It's more, I, I am this character. I love this character and I respect this character. And yeah, nobody else could play this role. They just couldn't. It just really, they just couldn't. And he's just, he's amazing. And the character is amazing. The character is one of those that is classic and timeless. <laughs> it is a timeless character. It's a character you will never forget and will be discovered by generations to come. And people will fall in love with him again and again and again. I mean, we're going to talk about the humongous fandom around this movie which kind of surprised me to I, I'll be honest. I didn't know there was such a huge fandom movement around this movie, but there is. And you see a lot of people cosplaying, of course, as Stock Brown and the other characters too. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Well, let's get into Marty's family. So let's start with the woman who is hot for her son. <laughs> Oh my God! Know, I cannot help. I cannot. Okay, we're gonna talk about Lorraine, uh, played by Leah Thompson, who said in uh, the documentary uh, "Back in Time," which is all about the Phantom around Back to the Future, which is on Peacock right now. So I highly recommend going and checking that out. 
Uh, but she said, it's so funny because everybody thinks of me as so wholesome. And yet I'm playing this character who's just, oh, she's just horny. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love, actually. I appreciate yeah. that. Mm -hmm. So what are your thoughts on her and the performance, Jason? You know, it, it was so funny. Just not really getting it the first couple of times that, that I watched it because I was a kid. So I was just like... Mm -hmm this is kind of weird, but it's not really making sense in my mind, like all of the depth of the weirdness, but I, she was so good. She was so good in this. Um, she really captures that, you know, falls in love with anybody kind of spirit. And, and it's just a, a very, uh, aside from the whole incest factor, um, it, it's a very like sweet and wholesome thing to you know, this girl's like sighing over this guy and constantly saying oh he's a dream and you know you, you see some like random cute dude and and it's you know you start like oh, making googly eyes and all of that you know and then the fact that he's her son and that that's really <laughs> weird but if you don't factor that in once you remove that element, once you remove that your direct descendant, <laughs> right, your child. Well, once, you, once you take that factor out, then then it it is a um a kind of sweet role, and the fact that she's not, you know, that she smokes and she drinks and she's parked before, you know, she's almost eighteen. Of course, she's parked before. It doesn't take any that of that away because it's it's that that mentality that like, um, for a girl to be respectable, she has to be pure and virginal in this very puritanical way and she can't mm -hmm. you know partake of anything that teenagers partake in and and then the the first time that we see her as a grown-up she's like oh you know girls who do that are just trouble and th that was her putting basically herself down but i think that's just part of her low self-esteem because if you look mm -hmm. at marty and lorraine mcfly in the the first uh, 1985 that we see they're they're very despondent like there's just like such a sadness in that house and it's it comes from from them from how uh low they they feel you know like Lorraine keeps trying to connect with with um, with George and George just keeps looking at the TV and she keeps looking at him like can you please just like interact with me and he's mm -hmm. just busy off in his own world um and then when you when he when George gets all of that confidence and then doesn't make his marriage a drag and therefore make Lorraine feel awful about the life that she chose <laughs> because I really think that that's what it comes down to like the, yes. the, the reason that George's change creates this huge impact on their futures because that's really what it comes down to is that uh Lorraine falls in love with him regardless of who he is or what he's like and George just kind of um he's a he's a bummer okay like he's a total bummer before his son causes his mother to fall in love with him it just I I don't know whatever <laughs> it's 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 gross but but you know you know what I'm saying I'm just joking but but you know what I'm saying so it the, the thing that made me the happiest in the new 1985 was seeing Lorraine happy because mm -hmm. now she is not you know, looking at life as this regrettable thing and this horrible thing that happened to her. She is joyful and she's doing things that she's enjoying and she's laughing and she's smiling and she looks like she feels good about herself. And it's it's great. And all of these things, like because these are basically three different characters 
who are the same character, who are portrayed by the same actors. And Leah Thompson really did a great job in each of these three different roles. Like she played this woman um, so differently, but with enough threads there to connect them to to the same being. You know, as skeevy as the whole thing is, I, I still really enjoyed her part in it because, you know, the way that her eyes light up is just really sweet. And she's, you know... She she has like so much strength, but it's like the 1950s, so she's not really allowed to show it all that much. Is my take on on that? But I I really I really liked her, and and it made me happy to see her happy in the end. I loved how unapologetically sexual Lorraine yes. was when she was a kid, because I think so many people look back on like the 50s and the 40s and the quote unquote olden times or whatever. I'm like, well, good girls didn't do that. And 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 there was never sex before marriage until, you know, 1980 or, you know, what I, or mm-hmm. 1960s and stuff like that with free love and stuff. And that just wasn't the case. And I loved, first off, I really loved how well they showed parenting being like, how much you change when you become a parent because I feel myself doing not quite the same thing as Lorraine does, but like, I do not, my kids do not need to know what I was like in high school because I was a saint. You were perfect, Carla. We all know that. I know. (laughs) Just pointing that out there in case you forgot. (laughs) In case you forgot how amazing I was. I want to make sure you remember. I could never... (laughs) Trust me, I could never forget. <laughs> never. I only talk about it quarterly, Meg. You know that. <laughs> um, but I just, I, I loved how it didn't even come across necessarily as super hypocritical because it's one of those things where when I was younger, I felt a little more hypocritical. But as I've gotten older and especially and become a parent, it's not, I, I don't view it as hypocritical so much as just being like, your kids don't need to know everything. They don't need to know everything about you. They don't need to know everything about who you were when they're still kids. I think that's something that when they become adults, that's a conversation that you can have. I also loved seeing the difference between Lorraine when she goes to the dance and kisses George out of pity versus when she's actually choosing him and truly attracted to him when we see in the new 1980s and that's i think they did such a good job and and i think um leah thompson did such a good job on portraying those differences because it's it is very sad (laughs) in the beginning like i couldn't imagine having that be my life for the rest of my life having such Mm. a disconnect between my me and my husband between my children and I and just and and that misery and so much of it is because George knew she took pity on him and that's why they went to the dance together and so he never got a chance to build his confidence up and she was not great at hiding that it was pity so I just I think it did such a good job I I think she just did a wonderful job and then when we see her again in the in the the new 1980s their like love and chemistry and attraction for each other is so apparent and I, it's just mm-hmm. it's it's so they're still very clearly like a sexy happy couple with each other and i think both uh her and Kristen glover did such a good job portraying these characters so differently 
and I just, I don't know. Like I, I talked a lot about her when she was young and trying to and make out with her son. <laughs> so I don't feel a need to talk too much more about that. Yeah. I just, I think, I think they did both of her and Chris McGovern did just a, such a great job. And I think the writers did such a good job of playing up the difference between how, how sexy confidence is and how attractive it is not to be an arrogant asshole or anything like that, but to just stand up for yourself and how that draws people to you and that draws good karma to you. I love this character too. And I, lo- I appreciate this character more as an adult than I did mm-hmm. when I was younger and watching it. And what I really appreciate about this character, and this was huge for the eighties to have a female character like this is that she is not only is she empowered in her sexuality and she has no shame about it. The movie has no shame about it. Like the, the writers are not shaming her for being that open about it. And the fact, you know, when she's in the car with Marty and she's just like, um, yeah, I've parked before. Like, why are you, why are you, why are you such a square about this? Why are you judging me about this? And she's never once doing it in this way that where she's like the quote unquote slut and the movie doesn't treat her like that. And I really appreciate that more as an adult than I did younger. But I think that's a good thing for young girls to see too, is having a character be so empowered and be okay with their body and who they are, but they're not treated like an outcast and they're not shamed for it. And yes, we make jokes about the incest stuff in here, but she doesn't know this. Lorraine has yeah. no flipping clue. It's not like she like knows this is her son. She thinks this is someone, some cute boy named Calvin who happens to be exotic in some kind of way. And that she also has that thing if, you know, he's saved someone from getting, you know, got hit by a car because he pushed someone else out of the way and all that stuff. So she's, you know, she's a teenage girl. And so, yeah, she's going to get Twitter pated. And so it's not her fault. But also what I appreciate about her as a character is you get the feeling that she's probably pretty popular in school, well-liked. And even though George is definitely like the geek, the nerdy one, whatever, even when she's still lusting after Calvin and wants Calvin, she's never really rude to George. She's just kind of like she blows him off, but not in like a very callous way. And once she likes George, there's never a moment of hesitation. There's never a moment of questioning that. There's never a moment of like, well, I'm the popular girl. I shouldn't be with the geek. That kind of scrap, which they didn't have time to do that. But there's still not even like a subtle hint of that. And I really appreciate that. She's just a really cool character, a cool female character that gets has a lot of agency. And even though when you look at it now, there are lots of like questionable things of like, you know, Biff almost mm-hmm. assaults her. She almost gets assaulted on the dance floor. All this stuff where her, where that's taken from from other characters. So I don't like that part. But for the most part, she's got a lot of agency, and she is not ashamed of her sexuality. And that is huge. And it's huge for young girls to see that, even if you don't realize that's what you're seeing. But especially watching it now and going, oh my gosh, for the '80s, that was pretty remarkable. I mean. You know, I mean, really, I think it was great. And I think the performance is really good. I think, you know, a lot of times some actresses, when they look like Leah Thompson does, where she's got that home, you know, homegrown girl, girl next door look or whatever, they get kind of pigeonholed or um, they're, they're thought of as that they can't push themselves. 
But she does a lot in this role because she's playing so many different characters, really. She's playing so many different sides of Lorraine. She's playing the young teenage Lorraine. Then she's playing the Lorraine whose life is awful and horrible and she's given up and she's basically an alcoholic. And then she's playing the Lorraine who's older and secure and confident and still has the hots for her hubby and her hubby still has the hots for her. So it's all these different sides of Lorraine. So she's got a really tough job to do where she has to do it, where it all makes sense and it all fits into the same character where you can see that teenager and see how that teenager became the mother you see in the beginning who's broken down by life. And then you can also see how that teenager would become the Lorraine that she eventually becomes thanks to her son traveling back in time and George getting confidence. So, you know, it is, it's, it's, there's a lot of levels to the performance and a fun little trivia fact that I kept meaning to mention is her and Eric Stoltz did end up doing a movie together called some kind of wonderful. <laughs> yes. We will cover that movie at some point someday because I love that movie. So, <laughs> Another 80s one. We have so many Gen Xers and, you know, millennials that listen to this podcast. So, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about George, played by the very unique. I always want to say unique with Crispin Glover because I don't think there's a single other actor like Crispin Glover in the world. That is correct. (laughs) I mean, Crispin Crispin Glover is, he's crispy. Like in my head, and I've done this. For as long as I can remember, I always call him Crispy Gloves in my head. <laughs> but Crispy Gloves is, he, he's hes fascinating. Like you see his, his career traje- trajectory and all of the things that he has done. And they could not be more different from George McFly. This is like a very uh, unique character in his repertoire because he is just so, I don't know, like normal is not really the, the word that I want to use here. He's a conventional not even wholesome he's conventional he's a conventional guy and his the the thing that that makes crispin glover such an effective actor in his other roles is that he can be very naturally creepy like he he it doesn't feel forced and not to say that crispin glover is a creepy person because i don't know the man so who knows but i will not just throw that on him but he plays creepy really well which is you know looking at him now a baby-faced and so Ernest playing George McFly, it, it's, you know, so different from the, everything else that you see him in. I mean, let's point out, first of all, the fact that he's a peeping Tom. Like, I don't know why, like, nobody brings that up That's ever true. when they're talking yeah. about the McFlys. But nobody's like, hey, like, how come we were just completely... He was completely, Yeah, but by bird, you mean, like, in the English way, like, oh, I'm just looking at the bed. <laughs> Look at that bed with her top off, and now she's going to take off her bra. Oh, I didn't know I'm Christian Bale watching. was coming tonight. <laughs> yes, I like to watch the spotted tits. Those are my favorite birds. I am just a bird watcher. <laughs> I am just enjoying nature, just as God intended. But anyway, yes, he is a peeping tom, and it is creepy as hell. And nobody yes. ever ever talks about that. Also, why Every- is he in the tree? Marty can see her boobs from the street. He, he you know what? He's a go getter. This is him being a go getter before he knew he was a go getter. He just went that extra mile. But it was super creepy, and like nobody ever brings that up. But since we're, nobody ever brings that up, let's just move on to the other stuff about George McFly. <laughs> 
I just I just needed to say that because nobody ever talks about it and it really ticks me off that nobody does. But aside from that, he he's just so yes, he gets bullied, but I think even if he weren't being bullied, he would still be just tremendously introverted and he doesn't have a lot of confidence in himself. And you, you don't really get a lot of info on why he's so why he lacks confidence to the degree that, that he does. But I think it's also a very relatable thing to not have confidence. And especially when you're you're a teenager and you're kind of like an outcast and you like sci-fi and you're writing your little sci-fi things off to the side because you're afraid of anybody reading it because then they'll judge you even harsh more harshly. Um I, I think all of that all of that stuff is relatable, whether you're you know, no matter what year you're in. I think everybody knows somebody or has been somebody who has been um, told that they're not good enough or has internalized that they're not good enough um, to the degree that they just have absolutely no belief in themselves. So it really did take Marty showing up and telling him, look, you can get the girl. You can, and not just, you know, you can get the girl by getting hit by <laughs> her father's car. You can get the girl in your own merits. Like, I can't believe that that I never knew this about you, that you like sci-fi and that you write, you know, where has this, this information about my father been hidden my whole life? And that's one thing with this movie that is so great is that I think all of us come to a realization, a realization at some point in our lives that our parents had a life before we came along and we don't know a lot about that life. And it's, it's a fascinating thing to think about because no matter how, how, um, much information your parents give you about who they were before you were born you'll still never have the full picture because you weren't there mm -hmm. um which is going to be interesting in the future because like so many people now are documenting their lives in like a very hyper specific oh, way and i wonder how that will affect um parent-child relationships in the future but in this movie before the internet before you know the prevalence of of cameras let alone camera phones all you had was your parents word and maybe the word of like an uncle who would tell you like the real story behind like you know that scar that your dad has on his elbow i think that for me is is more the the important thing about george is what he symbolizes more than the man himself um he, he symbolizes a parent who is basically an unknown to you Unless you happen to be lucky enough to travel back in time to meet him while he is becoming who he's going to be. And the fact that Marty got a chance to influence that for the better of the entire family is a really cool um, aspect of this movie. It's a, it's a really cool thing that he got to do. And yes, he had to come upon courage one way or the other. And it's horrible that it had to take Lorraine being assaulted for for him to find his his voice and for him to speak up and stand up for something and somebody that he believes in. But, you know, whatever, the, it is what it is. And this is the movie that, that we have. And he did find that courage. And he almost loses it again on the dance floor until, you know, he goes back to the guy and pushes him because he's about to walk off and be George again. But he decides, no, this is not who I am anymore. This is not who I want to be. And like like Meg said, like that's what made the attraction between Lorraine and George even better is that it wasn't based on pity. It was based on something real. It's based on somebody like these two people are finding who they really are 
at a point in your life when you're discovering who you're going to be. Um, so yeah, like for me, it, 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 he serves more as, as, a, as a symbol than as a person, which is not to detract from Crispin Glover's performance, which I thought was fantastic. I thought he was so good at being kind of, you know, dopey and, and, you know, oh, like life has really gotten me down, man. Like this is really a bummer. And then in the end, when you see him with so much more confidence and he's an author now and he's, you know, he's not under Biff's thumb. It's, it's great. And I, I, I can't say that I love George, but I, I do love what he represents in this movie. Meg? I do agree that this movie does such a good job of talking about and showing that realization that your parents are people. Like, not just your parents. And not even just about having a life before you, but seeing them as human beings outside of you. Because kids are naturally and rightfully, kids are self-centered. The world revolves on them. And that's something that you don't really you have to grow out of and 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 see and i think this is if there's any kind of growth with marty whatsoever i think it's that it's it's seeing that his parents are human beings and people outside of him and how they relate to him and he maybe sees that for about 15 seconds before he realizes that he has a truck and then he gets very excited about the truck yeah um he is a teenager. So. <laughs> he is a teenager and he's a teenage he, boy at that. They do such a good job with that. But I I I don't really have between um how wonderfully Carla put it as far as George as a character and his the symbolization of him and my previous talking kind of about him and his confidence with Lorraine. I don't really have too much more to add about George. I always forget that this is Crispin Glover. And I don't know why, especially because this is really the only thing I ever really watched Crispin Glover in because all of his other stuff is too scary for me. <laughs> he does a lot of weird, weird. He does and, a lot of weird. Yeah. Stuff. He's in a lot of um, David Lynch stuff. And yeah, and 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 it's yeah, it's nothing against Crispin Glover himself. He's very talented. I have seen some of the stuff he's in, but this is kind of this is this is what I know him from. This is the safe Crispin Glover. This is this is the Crispin. This is the Meg version of Crispin Glover. So you didn't watch River's Edge. <laughs> Talk about being creepy. I mean, I saw what seed in Gilbert Grape a long time ago, and then yeah, he was he was in Charlie's Angels. That's what I. That's what I really kind of the other one I remember oh, yeah. from. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I. Yeah, and he was Andy Warhol in the Doors. He played Andy Warhol in the I Doors. Am. I don't. Oh, he was yeah. so good at that. Doors. Yes, he was the best. One of the best Andy Warhols I've ever seen. Yes, <laughs> he was also in Family Ties. As Doug. yes, he was. Yep. Yes. Was he? Yes, and I always forget <laughs> that until I'm rewatching Family Ties because Family Ties, if you want to watch it, everybody is on Paramount right now, and and I and there are so many people like River Phoenix shows up in one. One of the Corys is in one. Tom Hanks famously plays like an alcoholic uncle. So yeah. Like... <laughs> he plays <Whoa>. Jimmy Dugan. <laughs> <laughs> From a league of their own. Uh, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> um, but the one of the weirdest is the movie Willard. He did the remake of the movie Willard and he, the, he was flipping weird. In yes. I think like, that's like the most famous weird Crispin Glover um, role. Like the most yeah. famous one, not not the 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 
best creepiest but the most famous one i do yeah. also love that he was an open season two and three Just, yeah like on top of all that he's <laughs> like this kid's movie yeah. <laughs> um yeah i think you know i think you know like we said marty doesn't grow in this but marty i think does learn to respect his dad and he didn't i don't think he had a zilch yeah. respect for his dad he, nothing at all and i think he learns that through helping his dad and yes the peeping tom thing that was it that was such an 80s thing which i'm not it's not an excuse but they love to have all the nerdy geeky guys would spy on the girls all the time and then they would end up with all the girls you know i mean they made all the porkies and being a those, revenge of the nerds revenge of and the all nerds, that kind yeah. of stuff was all about that so it was a huge trope and it is funny because i remember when i was watching it last weekend i was like oh my gosh i forgot he did that that was actually a part that i blocked from my brain watched it went through the whole thing and then i completely forgot it again until carla brought it up it's like this thing you kind of wipe from your brain because <laughs> you're like i don't want to think about that but he was he was violating his wife to me <laughs> he was pulling a joel goldberg before joel was even yes oh my gosh <laughs> i just i just love marty's reaction to it like he told yeah. his whole life the story about how his dad was bird watching that's a peeping tom because it is like you said carla it's him actually learning who his parents really were not right and actually learning the reality the stuff that you never really yeah and you might learn when you're an adult you learn a lot more of that stuff about your parents sometimes than you did when you were younger but yeah, I mean, you know, some of the stories I've heard from my mom, it's a miracle she's still alive, honestly. So it's like, you know, and, and then you'll hear them when you go and you have a Christmas, you know, and people will bring up, remember that time we, and, and this isn't really what happened, but remember that time we stole the car? We were, you know, that kind of stuff? <laughs> I know, like you hear like the most random things, and you're like, "Hang on, let's back up this train a few a few stations." Oh, <laughs> no! It's even better when my husband decides to tell our kids some stories from when he was in high school, and he starts them, and then like we can tell three quarters of the way through, he's like, "I did not think this." <laughs> I forgot how it. this story ends. <laughs> I better quickly change because I don't want to give my children ideas that this is an okay thing to do just because I was a shit. (laughs) And so he talks about the pranks he pulled on his friends, and I'm like, and I'm sitting here like, let's not. (laughs) The kids are taking notes, (laughs) right? And the kids like, you put how many Christmas trees in somebody's yard and under their car and on their front door? okay well i wanted to briefly talk about huey lewis and the news and the music in here because of course you've got power of love and um back in time and all that stuff and and huey lewis was huge in the 80s so carla are you were you or are you a huey lewis fan sadly huey lewis can no longer sing i wanted to say that yeah very heartbreaking sorry i'm just you know, He's a great it really actor is sad. too, by the way. Yes, he is. <laughs> no, I mean the, the music of Huey Lewis and the News really never struck a chord with me. I guess for me, the the biggest impact that the music has had has been through Back to the Future and American Psycho. I mean, the, the music. 
the music his the, the music was everywhere and there are a couple of songs that like you know of course i know all the words too and i can sing along with it and it's fine to have in the background but doesn't really do much for me meg Karen's <laughs> like any... well now that i know i never have to talk to carla again i know that anytime anyone has questions about music i am the person i know you are i think any, anytime you're like I really want some insightful thoughts about music. Let's talk to Meg. I have questions about music. Where is Meg? Where is Meg? Um, it's kind of the same. Like I, I like Huey Lewis in the news. I like their music and, and things like that. There were oldies when I was a kid growing up. <laughs> you know what? Everyone had it with you, Missy. I listened to them on the oldies station along with Otis Redding. Oh my god. <laughs> Nirvana's on them on it now. Um, I know, and <laughs> or uh, Nine Inch Nails is on. Oh, yeah, I'm like what the hell? I heard Waterfalls on the oldie station, and I was like, "This isn't right. This is wrong on so many levels." Um, but I, I just, I am not a person who is widely connected with music in any way or has any stories about any bands or songs that are super impactful which is why you have never been on a single music it's a fan of things i'm just like yeah it's all right (laughs) i like i like music like i i acknowledge that they were on the radio once my spotify (gasps) oh my gosh you should be on all of the musical episodes this will be so short erin i love musicals (laughs) just just you want to talk about show tunes that's a conversation i can have um, but like for just example, Meg on any music episode, we do it five minutes. No, it'd be I would talk the whole time, and then yeah, sorry. I'm like, oh yeah, George Michael, yeah, he's good. I like me, and that would be that would be it. That would be the whole thing, and it's the same with Huey Lewis. Like yeah, Huey Lewis. Like I don't find them offensive. I I won't turn the music off if I hear them playing. <laughs> my 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 year in review Spotify is consistently what my child listens to, even though she has her own Spotify, because that's how little I listen to Spotify. If I mean, like, I just I don't know. I like them. Back in time, I thought it was a fun story about how they wrote. They wanted to. They weren't sure if they could write a song for a movie, and they're like, "Just write whatever song. We'll make it work." <laughs> And then we got Power of Love. And then they they write this like massive hit. Right. <laughs> just like just like any little music will do. Just okay, any, let me just, just write a worldwide song. phenomenon. You know what you should do? You should get Meg. I hear she really has <laughs> Oh no, we can't. She hasn't been born yet. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, <laughs> I have a very, very more meaningful <laughs> connection to this. <laughs> Please tell us your meaningful thing, Erin. Seriously, seriously. Okay, so the very, very first concert I ever, ever saw was Huey Lewis in the News at Red Rocks, which let me tell you what a what an amazing experience to be able to not only see them live but to see it at red rocks red rocks is if you don't know what red rocks is it's the best place to see a concert anywhere i will not hear any arguments about it and so to be able to experience that as a young kid i was really young was incredible i went with like my mom and stuff and another friend went with me and it was just a blast it was so much fun 
so to me, they represent my childhood. This was one of my favorite bands. This and, and Billy Joel were my favorites when I was young, a little kid. And I listened to Huey Lewis on repeat. I was just like obsessed with Huey Lewis and the news. So to me, this is like another bit of why this movie means so much to me because of the music. And it was because of this movie that I became obsessed with them because I remember listening to them nonstop after this because I was obsessed with the movie as a kid. This was my first, you know, you've seen how obsessed I get with certain movies. This was my first of that. So I was obsessed with every aspect of this film. I wanted to see it as much as I could. There's a tape out there somewhere. I wish I could find it of me talking about this movie as a little kid and how much I loved this movie when I would play DJ all the time. And then I would talk about it was in the news. So it's like to me, I'm like, no one else shares this wonderful memory with me, but me, I loved them. So well, I'll talk to you about Billy place. Joel. Because that was the second concert I saw. So we will be doing, yeah, and that was an that was an that was a very emotional experience for a different reason. So we will talk about Billy Joel at some point for sure. We'll do a whole episode on Billy Joel. That's like the only that's probably the only singer that I'm like, yeah, I have a really deep emotional connection to his music, and most of it's not even mine. It's just I absorb it through other people. Secondhand, <laughs> secondhand, secondhand emotional. <laughs> My first concert was Boys to Men. That's that's good too. At ten, I, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so I just wanted to make sure to bring up the music just because it meant something to me, and I thought it'd be weird if we didn't bring it up. But Huey Lewis is a really, really gifted actor. He was in a movie that's not necessarily that great, but called Duets. Uh, with Gwyneth Paltrow and a few other people. And he's re- he plays Gwyneth Paltrow's character's father. And he's really good in that. And also, go watch the Weird Al Yankovic and Huey Lewis when they did the takeoff on the famous scene in American Psycho. <laughs> it's so brilliant. It is so, so good. Go watch that, too. And I Because I love that he can laugh about that and laugh about himself, too. And he and he's in this too. He's in Back to the Future. He's there when Marty McFly in the beginning is auditioning, and he's one of the judges out there. So yeah. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, well, let's talk about the lasting impact briefly about this movie there and the, the huge fandom. I mean, they have conventions. They have, I mean, it's, I mean, it's incredible. So many people have built their own DeLoreans and all this stuff, their own time machines. I mean, they haven't actually gone back in time that we know of. That's impressive. <laughs> that is dedication. Well, yeah, they're wow. not going to tell you that they're so plutonium. So I really think that they would keep that like hush hush. Yeah. And if you go to find the fandom wiki for it, it's called the Futurepedia, by the way. Maybe uh, but they did invent time machines and we just don't know it because the timeline keeps changing that's and true. we don't know because now I'm going to start talking about time Uh-oh. travel. Got no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so your thoughts, did both, did both of you watch that documentary back in time? 
that's all I about did. the fandom? I did, yeah. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on, on the lasting impact of this and the fandom around it? Well, as for the fandom, oh my gosh, I would have loved to have been able to participate in, in the fandom. The only thing for me is that the fandom seems to be overwhelmingly white. And I don't know that I would feel That's particularly true. comfortable in that space. I mean, um, I'm nostalgic so, about the 50s, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... That, that that's one thing with with fandom about things that are already very white is that the fandom's going to be very white and it's just kind of like uh, a little bit of a landmine to to wade through that this is why for a lot of things i'm just happy to be a fandom of one you know like i i didn't really know a lot of people growing up who were yes meg but i <laughs> We yes, are a Meg. fandom of two, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> but growing up, I didn't really know anybody that I could talk to about Spanish things. So uh, I was perfectly content to just have it be like me and my sister just talking about how much we love this movie and our favorite parts about it and, you know, saying lines that we loved to each other over and over again, or just mostly me saying them to people and people being like, Carla, stop it. But I, I do love that there's such a sense of communi community and that one of the the couples in the documentary was talking about how they showed up with their with their DeLorean and the DeLorean was not finished like it didn't have like a lot of like I don't think it even had wheels or anything and, and people were just very welcoming and supportive and I I love that I I love seeing a fandom that is a healthy positive environment for people to be in um, because unfortunately not all fandoms are and it's it's really special to find a group of of people who love the same thing that you do who are kind and include and inclusive and embracing of you i also love that so many of the actors from the movie are still um, enamored with it and and still participating in fan conventions and um events and you know and things like that. Like, I, I don't get the sense that they're particularly close, but it's it's just beautiful to see that they're still connected to this movie, that they recognize that it was such a such a huge touchstone for so many people, like such a huge event in people's lives, and that they don't take that for granted and that they don't minimize that. Because I feel like in movies that are iconic like this, a lot of the times um, people try to distance themselves from it because, you know, and to a point it's understandable, they don't want to be pigeonholed, as actors, they don't want that to be the only thing that they're known for, especially if they don't consider themselves comedic actors or like sci-fi actors. They want to be known for what they love most. But I, I think um, everybody who was involved with this movie takes it in stride, sees it for the juggernaut that it was and that it continues to be, and really relishes their part in, in film history. And as for just lasting impacts of, of this movie, I think that this is it's a very 80s movie but i think that it that it encapsulated encapsulates a lot of things that made 80s movies so great and even to this day i think that we we look back on 80s movies and there's like a special like smile that that we have when we think about 80s 80s film and it's because this was an age when people were still allowed to be all gee whiz about things like oh my gosh this is such a cool special thing that's in in the in the world of the movie like as they're witnessing something they're just enjoying being there they're, they're the characters are just immersed in this world and it's it's um it's this beautiful thing that you could be a part of just watching it whereas now i think a lot of there's a lot more 
of a jaded approach to movie making and um, scripts often feel very um, like they're very self-referential in a very condescending way almost. And again, the word jaded, where, you know, they're like, oh, I suppose now you'll tell me that this is the part where I tell you that, you know, that um, that girls don't play ball like that or that, you know, like, oh, now you're going to tell me not to not to go and look for plutonium. It just it takes it takes me it doesn't necessarily take me out of it, but it, it does feel like it doesn't feel as as genuine. It doesn't feel like as genuine um, an interaction. And it makes me kind of sad, you know, like I, I look back at these movies and yes, they're imperfect as hell. This movie you have, you know, you have sexual um, assault, you have peeping toms, you have a horrible display of anti-Arab sentiment yeah. with the the whole thing with the, the, the Libyans and the plutonium and the make me a bomb thing. It's just really gross. But the things, the, I think part of the reason that a lot of us are able to um, not overlook it, but appreciate the movie even with those imperfections is that it is a more innocent way of filmmaking where you feel like you're discovering something amazing along with these characters and not just putting up with with snide comments being made by characters who don't really seem to be as as odd as maybe they could be and again it's it's a special kind of 80s movie because there's a lot of explanation. No, there's, there's a lot of exposition, but not a lot of explanation. So you get like right. 20 minutes of like, I'm going to give you every piece of information that you need to carry with you for this whole movie. You better hold it. You better hold it. Remember it. Write it down. That's all you're going to get for information. But you don't get a lot of explanation. You don't get the background on um, Marty and Doc Brown. You don't get you know, information on George's family and, and maybe how they influenced who he was. You don't get much information about Biff, you know, there's, there's, but that's part of the beauty of it, that you get just thrown into this world at the deep end and you have to just learn to swim in the movie and it's a joyful experience and it doesn't feel like you're being spoon-fed spoon fed things. It's the, the ultimate show don't tell kind of um of movie making and i absolutely love that i love that they trust the audience to keep up mm-hmm. and i think that, that that's something that um just movies in general don't do enough and a lot of of uh, entertainment now wants to spoon feed you things that you could just figure out on your own or make up a backstory in your mind like who cares it's just fun and that's what it is it's just fun it doesn't have to be serious it can just be fun yeah, well, and I think so much movie, so many movies now are like, well, we have to compete with your phone that you're scrolling through, so we have to spoon feed your information because you're only half paying attention to what is going on on the screen. Uh, so, uh, I did not know that there was a big fandom around Back to the Future. From what I saw in in the documentary I watched, it seems like a very lovely, welcoming, non gatekeepy fandom, which is really nice. And I think to Carla's point, a lot of fandom stuff we see now with social media and with just the inherent cynicism of movies and TV shows kind of today, it doesn't really have that. And I think that's one of the lasting impacts with Back to the Future. For me personally, it's just, this is like 
it's one of those movies where it's like, I know it's really popular and I know it's like this massive movie, but to me, it's always like my little secret movie with my dad and with my sister. You know what I mean? It's this, my second most quoted Michael J. Fox movie. <laughs> the first one, Stranger Than Being Doc Hollywood. <laughs> Oh, I love that movie. I love that movie so I much. I quote Doc Hollywood at least, at least three times a week. I love that movie. It's ridiculous. Carla is listening. Carla knew exactly what it was because I think I've just randomly quoted it. Not secret of my success. <laughs> well, I almost did it again because when you're she was bitching about Stone, I was like, back to the interstate, Ben Stone. <laughs> That's a mighty fine pig, duck. (laughs) Anyways, I'm sorry. I got totally off track there. But that's one of those things about this movie is we know it's a massive hit. We know everybody knows this movie, but it feels personal, I feel like, to everybody. It's and I love what seemed like a very open, caring community of fans and actors alike who haven't given into the cynicism that so many people and fandoms have. And I could be wrong. I could be completely off the mark on that because I haven't really done a lot of deep diving on the Back to the Future fandom, if I'm being totally honest. But considering that this movie is almost 40 years old now. (laughs) I know that because I'm almost 40. Meg, Meg, Meg. Um, on Meg's last episode, it was nice chatting with you, Meg. Goodbye. Bye, Meg. Have a good night. Bye, guys. <laughs> I'm going to go listen to some Huey Lewis in the news. But I do love that it is just a fun movie. I do love that you can tell it wasn't trying to be like, hey, hey, look up, look up, look up. My eyes are up here, guys. Um. <laughs> And it just trusts, it does, it trusts the audience to to be in it and be along for the ride. And it also doesn't pause to be like, okay, do you remember what we said? Do you, it doesn't explain the science of time travel in this world. It just, all we know is that what happens in the past affects the future. And there's no, it's not like Outland, see, I'm going to, no, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> but it doesn't explain it. And I love that. And I, like, this is just the way it is. This is just how it is. We need 1.21 gigawatts to get and and I love that so much. And I just you don't have to think too hard about it. It's just something that's really, really fun. I'm not gonna actually add too much. Just I'll just say that it it is true with watching that documentary. I was like, wow, there's not all this fandom toxicity that you'll see a lot of other fandoms. They all just seem to be having fun. And I do appreciate that most actors seem to really appreciate what this movie did for them and they don't take that for granted Mm -hmm. and they appreciate the fans and i think that that's that's a big big thing that you know sometimes when you see that when people don't it can kind of leave a bad taste in your mouth and you kind of don't like the movie as much or the actor as much so i'm glad that they actually appreciate this one and yeah it'll just always be a favorite of mine and the movie we're covering next is also kind of like it's kind of like they're both kind of the same as far as like what they did for me with my love for me because they came out around the same time. I know I, so I know this wasn't my first movie in the theater because I know I saw 
when we're covering next is Ghostbusters. And I know I saw Ghostbusters in the theater more than once. So it, but they were kind of combined in my mind of these two movies that really made me see what the possibilities were. And I've always, and you know, I, I love acting and make believe and stuff. And this was like, Oh, this is so cool that you could do this. And yeah. So it'll always have a lasting impact on me. I will always love this movie forever and ever and ever. And I'm just glad that it's one of those that you don't watch later and go, what was I thinking? It's Mm -hmm. just a really, and I love that it will go on. It's no 16 candles. I still love 16 candles. I know 16 candles is very, very problematic, but I still love 16 candles and I still love Jake Ryan and I still would love to see Jake Ryan standing outside of a church waiting for me. (laughs) I know, but I still love him. I can't, I can't help it. I know it's a problematic movie, but I still love it. Um, (laughs) But a lot of the movies from the eighties were very problematic. So it's a running theme with them. Okay. So I want to know last thing, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. So just let me know if you'd rather go forward in time or back in time, Carla. I'd go forward in time. Like, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of good things for me in the past. So I, I, I just want to, you know, get to the good part. Hopefully it is a good part. <laughs> so she wants to go really, Jesus, really, like, seriously. really, really far forward in time. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think of that song in the year 2525 and I'm like, well, let me, no, not maybe far. not this one either. No, 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 no. I just no, pictured forget you, it. I just pictured you going to the episode of Dr. Who where it's the end of earth. <laughs> They're watching. How about, the how, end how, of like, how about I just go like three years in the future? Like that's about as much as I can comfortably time travel. Anyway. So Meg, I don't know. I don't know if it's going in the past going to affect what happens in the future. Cause there's some things I could do and, and take care of. Oh no, it's going to happen. Oh no, Meg. <laughs> Meg, no, just, yes. Just past or future. We're not going to get into the big wise. Both of it would mess up going both ways would mess things up. Yes. So future. The future. Future. Pick a timeline to screw up. I'm gonna go go scare my great great grandchildren. (laughs) It's great granny Meg. (laughs) See this picture. (laughs) I bet she died in her bathtub while she was reading fic. They still have photo albums in the future. They come back, and then I should be looking at a picture. Put it down. There I am. Oh man! Well, <laughs> I, was a kid. <laughs> I would I would go to the future too. So I mean, it'd be tempting to go to the past and you know redo some mistakes you've made. But um, I I'll go, I'd go to the future. I think I think <laughs> you don't want to cross your own timeline, Aaron. Come on, we all know that that's how that's how things mess up. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, <laughs> on that note, ignores me. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, am, am I the sole person playing with it and playing with six degrees of <laughs> Whoa, whoa, Aaron. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Have we family, entered Phantom Thing After this Dark? Is a family <laughs> podcast, guys. <God damn. laughs> this is a family show. Well, this one is because I went all the incest. <laughs> Keep it in the family. 
the family that loves together <laughs> so anyway am i the only one playing six degrees of finwit rock i should say that very clearly not just playing with i am not playing okay okay well i am using one that i used last week it's because i have to say i kind of totally space putting this one together <laughs> so apologies finn just think of one finn. more actor come on <laughs> in the beginning of the chain <laughs> no no no. i got one i'm just using one that i used like last week i think because i could still use Kiefer sutherland so michael j fox was in designated survivor with Kiefer sutherland who was in flatliners with julia roberts who was in the normal heart with finn so yep and i'll give all the other information when we close up but i just want to say thank you so much to carla and meg for talking about one of my all-time favorite movies back to the future so if you both want to close out and let us know where the boobs can be found carla well in you know depending shirt. on your on your anatomy you could find them in your shirt yes but if you want to listen to some boobs that would be meg and me on our podcast, Bed, Wet, or Behead. You can find us on any wonderful, beautiful streaming, podcast streaming service, and even some of the not-so-beautiful ones, because we don't discriminate. We don't discriminate. We're everywhere. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Bed, Wet, Behead Pod, on Instagram at bed.wet.behead.pod. On other social media, you can look for Bed, Wet, or Behead Podcast. You can also find me and my art and my musings at... Uh, on Twitter and Instagram at Carla Temis and also my website, carlatemis.com. That's C-A-R-L-A-T-E-M-I-S dot com. Thank you. And Maggie? Yeah, if, I guess if you listened to this and thought, I want to read that, um, you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> want to read that? <laughs> if you listen to my weird ramblings and out of context jokes and you're like, you know what? I need more of that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me sporadically and randomly tweeting uh, at Wisconsin Ag, which is W-I-S-C-O-N-S-E-N-N-A-C-H. And again, it's Carla's fault. <laughs> you want to watch me thirst over Jensen Ackles and talk about Dungeons and Dragons and Dungeons and Daddies, <laughs> then that's the place to find me. That's the place to be. Hey! <laughs> I want to hear someone not know what they're talking about, but be obsessed. <laughs> this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Uh, big thing I'm into right now. My big obsession right now is the movie Barbarian. I'd be prepared. That's probably going to be one of my big movie obsessions until the end of the year. If you're a horror fan and you've not watched Barbarian, Go watch Barbarian, please. They just released a new amazing trailer today, recording this on Friday. That is, oh my gosh, it's a little spoilery, but I still want people to watch it, even though it has a little spoilers because it's so cleverly put together. It's really funny. Like it's the way they do it is absolutely spectacular. But so that's what I'm obsessed with over there. Although I don't tweet that much on my uh, personal Twitter account. Uh, but on even our <laughs> fandom thing Twitter account, you will hear me talking about Barbarian a lot. One of the producers of the film just followed me back. So that was really nice. <laughs> You're supposed to talk about your obsessions at the top of the show, Erin. Come on. <laughs> we, already talked, we already did a special episode that we will release the podcast episode. You can watch the live stream now for that. But yeah, so that was pretty cool. So shout out to... 
uh, to Roy Lee, who followed me back. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Next up, the director. Come on. <laughs> You've liked a lot of my tweets. So Everyone before Tay Diggs. <laughs> but do not bring that man up to me. <laughs> the way that Aaron's face just fell. It went from we're having a good time to you reject to me for bringing that up. <laughs> It's you're like she heard we don't care about any of the news that much all over. Again. You're like a stone to me. <laughs> you're like a stone to me. You're Drop like a you bunny a to me. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, be sure to like. Pop, pop, the- motherfucker. <laughs> uh, be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On TikTok at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. Uh, if you have any feedback, show notes, if you'd like to be a potential interview guest on the show, anyone from Back to the Future, feel free to reach out to us by heading on over to It's a Fandom Thing Pod.com. Click the Contact Us button there, and that'll shoot us an email. And while you're there, you can play the listener version of Six Degrees of Finn Whitrock, which we're going to be changing what we're playing with soon but right now we have superstore scare me bojack horseman and promising young woman so tell us how finn is connected to those movies and shows in six degrees or less for a chance to win some merch i also want to give another shout out we have some new merch we're going to have our horror logo available too for purchase our new horror logo which i love so shout it again to aaron amos and we finally have our Brian Sex on Legs Kinney merchandise that you can get on everything in Redbubble, except for, for some reason, Redbubble will not let you put anything with explicit material, because it says sex, on dog bandanas. Everything else is okay, but not on dog bandanas. <laughs> That's a really Just weird line to draw. Brian Sexter Orchestra. <laughs> <laughs> It's just so weird. It's like you could put it on baby things, I think, but you can't put it on <laughs> I don't know that for Whoa, a fact. Red bubble. But the fact that you cannot, that that's the one thing you cannot put it on is a dog bandana makes no sense to me. Anyway, love you, Red Bubble. <laughs> <laughs> but you can purchase that. So our Queer as Folk fans, I know I've already told you about it and through Liberty Diner Dish, but go check that out. And we are going to be all horror soon on the podcast. So we have a great lineup of stuff we're going to be talking about. Meg is going to be on one of the episodes when we talk about vampires and sexuality. And then Carla is going to be on our Last Boys episode to talk about how much she loves the saxophone. Vampires so- and sexuality. <laughs> Incorrect. <laughs> the saxophone. The saxophone. Oh. <laughs> just say Brian Sex for the dog one. <laughs> the smooth sound. I was gonna make a, a, a point about how they both like lips on certain no. whatever. That was gonna be convoluted. Oh, a blow oh. job joke. <laughs> anyway. Nothing better than a convoluted things blow that blow, job. Blowing things. It's it's fine. Girl, you, you can get there yourself. Blow jobs work. You don't actually blow. Okay, can we, okay, at some point oh we need to talk about this God. movie right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Just trying to sign off. It's been 20 minutes. Okay, and on our next episode, 
like I mentioned before, we are going to be talking about Ghostbusters, and I'm very excited about that one, too. Depending on that one does, we might end up visiting the sequels as well, because we're just going to be talking about the first one. So we'll see how that goes. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.